Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God, and we're also going to be doing some experiments with the in the world of broadcasting. So we're going to be trying a number of different things to have somebody on another line at the same time. And uh, uh, he's uh, from uh, Lake County. I've known him all his life. <laughs> I guess he's my son. But uh, he's also a county commissioner here in Lake County. And he's the liaison to the state uh, government. And... Uh, we had other people working for the government here in the house yesterday, but uh, today we're, we, I have my, my, uh, middle son, I guess it would be. I have to figure out where he is. We have six children. But anyway, so we're not sure exactly what we're going to be talking about, but like I said, this part of this is the experiment of different equipment that we're trying out, and we'll see how this goes. So you, you just have to bear with us. Hopefully we're going to be expanding the program, expanding the topics, and even though the uh, the church doesn't really have any interest in meddling in the U.S. government, we do have an interest in the hearts and minds of the people. And the people have to go out and decide what they want to do with their government. So we are going to be dealing, from my point of view, I'm going to be dealing with things like truth, honesty, justice, mercy, the weightier matters that Christ told us to attend to. But uh, my son has an expertise in another area, which is actually the civil government of Oregon. And even though we'll be focusing maybe on some of the topics in Oregon, all these topics will be of value in other states of the United States and from my experience in other countries. Because when I was doing a great deal of my study in law, I would go and find that laws were changing in Oregon at the same time they were changing in Florida, and the same times they were changing in, within a year, same time they were changing in Holland and other places like that. So, anyways, so we're kind of doing this on the fly, kind of figuring out what we're going to talk about and what we're not going to talk about. We probably won't take any calls, but if anybody does call in, there's a chat room with this the show, but if you can get into the chat room, you can ask questions there, and we'll answer those questions in the chat room, or we'll answer them on air for whatever questions we see show up in the chat room. So anyway, uh, with that, I'll introduce uh, my son, James Williams, and uh, we'll see if we can't figure out some topics that everybody will be happy to think about and talk about and find out about. So James, what's up? Oh, thanks for having me. Um, well, there's a lot up going on in the world, a lot happening all over the place. Uh, right here in Oregon is the, my main focus, and uh, and just the local government of Lake County. But uh, I think one of the things that bothers me the most is something that you you started to allude to there uh, was uh, this concept of meddling in government and politics. And what we want to talk about right now is we want to talk about the people because ultimately I think people forget that um, there's a fourth branch of government. Everyone remembers the the main three, the judicial, 
the executive and administrative, but the fourth branch is really the the trump of all. No pun intended on that, and that's the people. And the people are the ones that make the decisions. I think where we've gone wrong in society today is that we have allowed the government that that is to call the shots, to make up the rules, and we go out every now and then and we vote, and we vote for an individual person that we think is going to fix all of our problems and make our life better, but in the end, we don't hold them accountable. I, I really think there's been a real lack of that and public interest over time. And I think it's largely on the conservative side of things. I'm going to blame the conservatives to a certain extent here because I think it's part of our our natural uh, perspective on life, um, just the way we deal with the reality and, uh, and, and the world. We have a natural tendency, I think, as folks out in the country, which those out in the country tend to be a little bit more conservative, and in rural America, especially here in rural Oregon, I can personally attest to that as I come from a county that's about 90% Republican. Um, We tend to feel that the powers that be, those in politics, uh, are capable of reason. And we want to reason with them. And I just personally, I had a conversation with someone, uh, a friend of mine, just last week. Uh, I went up to the state capitol uh, to speak with some of the legislators about some of the legislation that's going through right now in the short session here in Oregon. And uh, it includes cap and trade, which is a big uh, uh, carbon emissions tax uh, by most people's standards. It's it's outrageous, but by the political elite of Oregon, it's looked at as, no, this is what we have to do. We have to mandate this. We have to push it through. And I'm coming from Lake County. I have a five-hour drive just to get to the state capitol. And when I get there, I go sit down with a friend of mine, and he's in politics uh, as well. He works just a few blocks from the state capitol, so he sees it every day. Um and I was explaining my perspective and what I would like to talk about uh, if I were to give testimony before the state legislature. And he just stopped me cold and he said, you know, James, here's the thing. They don't care. They don't care what you have to say. You can't reason with them. And I just stared at him for a second. I'm thinking, wow, that that's kind of depressing. Um, okay. <laughs> and uh, I think that's where we've, we, we've miscalculated. We here in rural Oregon and rural America tend to think that the political elite can be reasoned with. And I really think there needs to come a day when we just say, no, no, that's, that's not right. Enough is enough. We've tried to explain this. We spend a huge amount of time trying to research the facts and going through the science and bringing it back to them. We present the facts and the science to them, and they're going to push it through one way or the other. And this is what happens typically when you have, in the system of today, the with the Western democracy where you have this supermajority on one side and, and one point of view is shared and you don't 
it, it doesn't really matter whether or not you're right. It only matters whether or not you have enough votes. Where you, because we are in a democracy. We haven't had a really true republic for a long time. And this democracy, by definition, is a place where 51% of the population get to steal the rights of the other 49. Yeah, that's what a democracy is. Really, if you... We've mentioned this many times that a democracy was considered a bad form of government. It was taught as a bad form of government in schools, in the military, until World War II. Before World War II, the Army Field Manual told you that democracy was a bad form of government. A republic was a good form of government. But after World War II, the same Field Manual then said democracy is what we're fighting for. So... That is where the minds of the people have changed. What happens, though, when you have a democracy, especially an indirect democracy, like the United States actually is as functioning as an indirect democracy, it was, you know, the Constitution was supposed to create, uh, actually the Constitution created an indirect democracy that was to guarantee a republican form of government to the states. Lots have happened since that originally happened. Most people are citizens of the United States. They're not citizens of their state. And so, therefore, they are in an indirect democracy. That makes the legislature, who used to be your representatives in a limited form of government, now are called lawmakers. Mm -hmm. They are offices of power. When you create offices of power, people who normally hear me talk, hear me say this all the time, men who seek power will seek office. So you have people on the left, or uh, sometimes they call them liberals, that's not really fair. A liberal is somebody who's open-minded, whose opinion is able to be changed. A conservative is someone who is slow to change. You can be a left conservative. Not willing to change. <laughs> you can be a, a liberal person on the right, willing to look at things anew and change. But what you have is on the left, you have activists. People who want power. They want control. They want a law. They want a regulation. They want to control you. They want to reach into your pocket and take some of your hard-earned labor and use it for what they want because they want power. Well, the problem is with that is that you you need to be careful what genies and what gods you create because they will have a demand on you in turn. Right. And they there is nothing government gives to you that they have not first taken away from someone else. That governments that exercise authority one over the other, well, yes, yes, those will take away from you. Those will rob you. Uh, I shouldn't say rob. They will take away. That's part of the deal. They, If you want a government a that contract. can take away from your neighbor, then you're going to end up with a government that can also take away from you. If you want a government that can provide you with benefits at the expense of your neighbor, then... He's going, that same government's going to provide your neighbor with benefits at your expense. So that's not stealing anymore. It's as you judge, so shall you be judged. Now the problem is the conservative, what we call conservative, the person who doesn't want to exercise authority over you, he's not interested in getting into office. 
Because he doesn't want power over you. He just wants to be left alone, take care of his family, take care of his community. Maybe he doesn't even want to do that. But he's not wanting to control the world. He isn't doesn't have the Hitler Napoleonic complex where he wants to control everybody else. Right. He he just wants to go and do the right thing in his life. You can't afford that. What gets us into trouble every time is when we don't care about our neighbor as much as we care about ourselves. Mm-hmm. I don't think you should create a government that can exercise authority one over the other. I think you should go back to the Libera Respublica, the republic that was originally intended, even farther back than the United States, the early, early republics in history. But that's not where we're at. No. We're in a democracy. We're in a democracy that is in debt. We're in a democracy where you're a surety for the debt and your children are a surety for debt. So now... What are you going to do when you're in that situation? Now, I, I know I'm over here in the church. I'm over here doing what Christ said to do. But you may have another role or another mission in the world. I'm afraid that a lot of the world's not going to care, like you were saying. They're not going to listen. They're not going to listen to reason. You already have activists in power. You have tens of thousands, millions of voters coming up who thinks it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods and force them to contribute to your benefits and your welfare. They already are accustomed to that idea. So what are you going to do? Well, that'll be each individual, but James here has gone into the belly of government and seeing what's going on there. So maybe he could tell us a little bit more about some of the things he's seen. Well, you know, it's, I see a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> I hear a lot of things and, uh, I generally, I try to just pay attention, watch, listen and learn. And, uh, I try not to rock the boat unnecessarily, but occasionally that is what is required. Um, I, and and I, once more, I think the majority of people tend to agree with me. Otherwise, Donald Trump wouldn't be president uh, of the United States. And I would never have gotten elected either because there is nothing in my history um, that says that I would have been a professional or expert in this field. I, I like, for instance, we were guaranteed uh, a Republican form of government um, by the founding forefathers. But is that necessarily what we got? The republic is what we wanted, but there was something we liked and our forefathers liked about the idea of a democracy where every four years you could throw out all the idiots and bring in new idiots. Well, that would be me. Because you need to bring in people. The Western form of democracy doesn't guarantee that you're going to get an expert. You're going to get an average, everyday person that is going to try their best, hopefully, to do the job and to represent the people and represent their interests. Interests, And above all, they make it very clear that they are to swear an oath to uphold the law. Therefore, and the law also is not written, my belief is that the Constitution does not grant people their rights. The Constitution was written to guarantee that the government was unable or was restricted from taking rights away that were already guaranteed by natural law. And so therefore the primary function is to preserve those rights for the people. 
and to make sure that the government is not trampling on those and to make sure that people continue to be educated and pay attention and listen even when the government lies to you because they they do. I'm not saying everyone in government does. There are some really wonderful representatives and senators in this in just in Oregon alone that I think are trying to do their job to the very best of their ability. But there are those times when, such as, uh, there's a small bill that we'll talk about here in a moment that is being put forward, and the way it is being put forward is very deceitful, and it is purposely written to take people's rights away and to change and forever really change the way our government functions. Now, before I go too far, I would like to mention it. I'll just go into it real quick. I think we talked about this earlier. Um, it's SJR 18, and it will be on the ballots for Oregonians this year. Uh, they will be seeing this, and that is, it will be something that the United States citizen, current residents of Oregon, will be able to vote for or not vote for. And what it does simply is that back in the day, the Oregon State Constitution was amended to make sure that during, when you have politicians running for office, they were prohibited from taking campaign contributions from outside of their district. And that makes sense. I mean, f- for instance, if you happen to be a resident of, say, Klamath County in uh, here in Oregon, and I were to run for a representative or to, for a commissioner or some sort of public office in that county, but I was taking 50% of big money from outside of that county, how would that make you feel? Does that, I mean, really, if I was taking all my money from some office up in Portland or a bunch of people, big companies and uh, corporations up in uh, northern Oregon, how is that? How would that make you feel if you are a resident of a particular district, if the people representing you were being funded by other entities outside of that district? So the Oregon State Constitution was amended to make sure that you could, if you did take contributions from outside your district, you could not take more than 10%. And if you did, now you could give some away, whatever you wanted to do, but you couldn't take it into your personal finances because most people that run for office, what they do is they run for office, they they have all this money and these contributions coming in, and if they don't get elected, or if they do get elected, doesn't matter, if they haven't expended those dollars into their campaign contributions, they walk away with them. It's theirs. And so the... Those in Oregon back in the day tried to make sure that if someone did not follow the rules on this and they were taking more than 10% of their contributions from outside their district, that they, that they would have to vacate their office and any decisions that they made during their time in office were null and void from their inception. That was a rule that was put through and voted in by the people and went into the Oregon State Constitution. Today, there is a, um, a measure on your ballot that is not only going to overturn that and amend the Constitution to where those rules won't exist anymore, but they will also amend the Constitution to where the legislators will have the sole power to rewrite the rules anytime they deem or see fit on campaign finance reform. 
and the people cannot. They're actually going to change another part. Right of the now, the people, the people have to vote on those kind of changes. Right now, if they make the amend, if they amend this in the Constitution, it means those in power in office right now will have the power to rewrite the rules anytime they wish. They can pull the restrictions. They can change the restrictions. And yes, you could vote them out if they make rules that you don't like. But but you have to wait. You'll have to wait. And while you're waiting, and you have to educate. You yeah. have to start a movement. You have to start at telling people this is what they did. And for the most part, I mean, most of the legislators are on on board with this because it's been kind of a thorn in their side. It's really hard to run a campaign against someone who's taking big money from outside of the state. And and this is the problem is that most of them are taking big money to the tune of millions of dollars from outside the state or outside of their district. Some in some cases outside of this country. Uh, yeah, and so, yeah, you'd worry about foreign <laughs> influence in your elections and your national elections, but your state governor is running and taking money directly into her account. Uh, and it could be, you know, now this law doesn't exist in a lot of other states. It could, but as soon as people were to see that this was an actually restoring power to the people to control who gets elected in their governments. Now, We've gone a long ways away from what things were originally. You know, we mentioned the Constitution here. And the Constitution is what everybody, all sheriffs are sworn to uphold. Correct. Uh, Myself included in yeah, that. Congressmen, uh, commissioners, all these people are sworn to uphold the Constitution. That's the primary law. That is supposed to be the highest law in the land created by men. Some people are now passing, wanting to pass statutes that infringe upon people's right to bear arms. And the sheriff says, well, I have to obey the law. Well, the law is that thou shalt not infringe. The statute does not overrule the Constitution because the Constitution is higher than the statute. And any Correct. statute that is contrary to the Constitution is null and void from its inception. Correct. People don't understand this because they all went to public school. Go back to the Constitution... <laughs> You go, well, you just don't teach it. Well, they don't teach it in there. I remember when they stopped teaching. I'm an old guy. <laughs> but you go to Article, the, well, the Bill of Rights. Consider homeschooling your kids, yeah. people. That's all he's yeah, saying. That, that's, that's, that's a good idea. Take, but take, even a, take a vested interest in your children's education because they are the future of this country. Yeah, I've read the school books they use in schools today, and they're not telling you. But you can just read this for yourself. Article 9 of the Constitution of the Bill of Rights, which these are amendments that were added. And we have a whole book on the Constitution. You can read Contracts, Covenants, and Constitutions that show it from a biblical viewpoint. But the enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage Others retained by the people. That's you. You're the people. And unless, of course, you may be somebody in public office listening to this. <laughs> you, But in your private capacity, you're the people. Article 10. The powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution nor prohibited by it to the states are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. That's you. Those, that's ninth and tenth amendment. It's kind of like the ninth and tenth commandment that nobody ever listens to. <laughs> but the, uh, the, those are my jabs, uh, for the, you who want to go look it up. But the reality is that, that you can lose these rights 
by applying for benefits. But then if you were applying for benefits at the expense of your neighbor, you'd be violating the Ninth and Tenth Commandments, uh, which is over there on my side of another form of government. But anyway, the, one of the things to maintain those rights, you have to exercise them. And order, one of those exercises is to get involved enough in government so that you can do what Christ said to attend to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. If you actually were doing many of the things that Christians did in the first century, the government would not be as big as it is today. It wouldn't be in as much debt, if any debt, as it is today. The life would be much different, but unfortunately churches are not preaching that. But anyway, so he was talking about if you go to uh, preparingyou.com, and we can probably add a link to this, but uh, you go there and look up Article 2, Section 22. And I have... Of the Oregon State Constitution. Yeah, this is the Oregon State Constitution. And it tells you about this particular idea of not taking donations. Because this is open bribery. If you're If you're getting a million dollars from somebody who's not even in this state or maybe wants to pollute in this state or wants to to get contracts in this state and they give you a million dollars to get you elected so that you pick them. This this is one of the things with the cap and trade is creating a huge slush fund which the governor and the legislatures will have control of moving funds around to pay off these people that gave them millions of dollars. Correct. And now, will they do that? Well, that's up to you to figure out. You have to hold them accountable. I mean, the people have to hold them accountable. This isn't for advocating for any one particular uh, um, candidate. This has nothing to do with who runs. It's not up to me or anyone else who the people choose. This has to do with whether or not you have the ability to speak your mind and whether or not you have the ability to... Hold your legislators and you and your public servants accountable, because really the concepts behind America aren't that far off from the kingdom, but we have gone so far in another direction, but because of the political elite and the establishment, and we have been asleep. It's, it goes back to that concept where rural America just wanted to be left alone. And we kept pushing further and further west. And we allowed those in power to continue to take our rights, to continue to to take more money. And we gave them that power. That's the sad part about all this, is that ultimately we gave it to them. Former generations gave it to them to have this power over us. Right now we still have some pieces in place to help the people hold their legislators and hold their public servants accountable. But if we continue to give them away, like I have a very horrible feeling that the Oregon State voter is going to be giving campaign finance reform and the power for it over to the legislature this this year. I know know that the press is actually pressing uh, this House resolution. Uh, I, I know that when they, in order to put it on the ballot, a lot of the legislatures had to vote for it, and there was an overwhelming number of them voting for it. This is literally voting to, to give up more rights. Well, it's being pushed as campaign finance reform, and that sounds really nice but to a not. lot of people. But, well, well, it is campaign finance reform. 
But not in your favor. But not, yeah, right. <laughs> See, the rules are there. We already have an Oregon State Constitution, which is very clear. You can't take more than 10% of your campaign contributions from outside of your district. If you do, you either have to give it up, give it back. You don't have to take those contributions. And if you do, you can go give it to charity or something else. But you personally can't take it. And if you do, you, you are to vacate your office and the decisions and everything that you voted on during your time in office is null and void. Actually, the law states that you're a felon. Yeah, it actually does have that yeah. criteria in there. It doesn't say what class now, of this, felon. Just but to give people a full disclosure, this did go to the uh, to the Supreme Court back in, I think it was 1997? Yeah, in the state Supreme Court. Yes, the state Supreme Court. And uh, there was it, a great it did, deal of discussion about that. But it was not overruled. This Correct. Is, a lot of people say that it was overruled by the state Supreme Court. That is not the truth. Read it. Uh, and if you go to Article the 2, Section 22, we have the rulings. We have links to the actual rulings, so you can go read it. it. And, you know, one of the things in arguing for House Joint Resolution 18, which takes away the rights of the people and and actually opens the door to more corruption than you already have, one of the things that it suggests in there is so that the government won't, uh, so that the judiciary won't keep overruling the power of the people to contribute money because this is what the, the argument, I won't go into the details, I don't know if we have enough time to go into the details, uh, we're halfway through the show now, but I have a half a dozen recordings on that page that go through it step by step. But basically, if somebody tried to give a hundred dollars to somebody after the campaign, uh, and uh, he was from another district, Correct. and so they t- uh, they said, "Well, no, I can't take this." And he says, "Well, that's an infringing on my right to freedom of expression." So they took it to court, and the lower courts ruled that it was a violation of his freedom of expression because th- he was only giving a hundred dollars. The other courts upheld that ruling, but they stated very clearly. $100 may be simply a right of expression. So if somebody gives you $100, that's just, he has the right to give it. It doesn't mean you have the right to take it, and the court didn't rule that you have the right to take it. You can give it to a charity. But what the court did say is that $1,000 is not freedom of expression. That's actually imposing influence upon the candidate, which is why the law was put into place. To keep, there we're not worried about somebody from Poughkeepsie giving you a hundred dollars when you're running in Oregon because he's your cousin. We're worried about somebody giving you a hundred thousand dollars so that you pass cap and trade, so that you pass the law uh, to force everybody in the state of Oregon to get a vaccination because you took tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars from pharmaceutical companies. Or you're just brainwashed and don't know better. <laughs> but the reality is that we can deal with the education of our, uh, of the legislatures of Oregon. But what is unfair advantage is millions and millions of dollars being put in the hands of legislatures and executive officers of Oregon by people outside of the state, outside of their district, to exercise influence over the legislation that affects the lives of the people. If the people don't like that, if the people don't want that... And I'm assuming most don't. They have to get together to protect themselves and to protect their neighbor. 
and that you have to be men if you were, and men if you were told, correct and if you were told and if you were taught that the Oregon State Constitution actually has this in there in the first place you would know and you could hold them to it but the fact is most people you say article 2 section 22 and they're like what what huh like <laughs> What's that? Most, well, it's most the Oregon people, State Constitution. It's the it's the main document of law for your entire state. If and, and most people in politics, I will guarantee you that about eighty percent of the politicians in the state of Oregon today have never read the Oregon State Constitution. Which would mean at least ninety to ninety five percent of the population have never read it. Correct. Well, they don't teach it to you. They don't tell you anything about this. And everyone's screaming for campaign finance reform to keep big money out of politics, to keep the big lobbyists out of politics. But yet you're literally going to, if people vote yes for SJR 18, uh-huh. yeah. I mean, you're not, you're not going to ever keep big money out of politics. In fact, it will change the course of Oregon forever. Now, right now, uh, big politics is... Uh uh, big money is is feeding into the coffers of individuals who run for office. And a lot of people, most of the candidates, have taken more than they are legally allowed to do, which would mean they're felons and they forfeit their office and they cannot run again for two terms on that office. Correct. And so, but nobody's holding them accountable. The Secretary of State was appointed by the governor and the governor is in violation and so this goes on. My concern as a, as a minister of the church is that you hold those people accountable, that you exercise your responsibility. It may not do any good because there are workarounds this. Right. But if you don't get together and do the right thing, it's going to be a lot worse for you and your children than you can imagine. Well, I mean, just, just go to the vaccine argument, for instance. Uh, I mean, there was a huge, huge cry here in the state of Oregon when they proposed legislation for mandatory vaccines for for all ages, basically, and that parents did not have a right to uh, uh, to refuse treatment for their children. And, I mean, it was going to change things to the point where you couldn't go to the grocery store unless you had vaccines, legally. I mean, it was going to change Oregon. And a lot of people stepped up on both sides of the issue, on both, uh, for, I mean, on both parties. And they stood up and they said, no, this is outrageous. And it's, and it has nothing to do, really. People like to use the phrase vaccine denier or, uh, um, conspiracy theorist and all this other stuff. It has nothing to do with whether or not uh, the science is there, and by the way, the scientific field is actually in disagreement on this. They haven't come to uh, to settle on the safety of vaccines and what cause they have, long-term and short-term, because really there haven't been enough studies done on the double-blind placebos. Or, I mean, it is absolutely, you get into this and you start researching it, and it's crazy. But the big thing is, is when the politicians come to you and they propose legislation that's going to say, you have to get these vaccines, and you're giving one-year-olds vaccines for STDs, and like, you're giving 70 to 80 vaccination schedules. Correct. As opposed to what it was when I was a kid was a couple of vaccines. Right. And even then, I, I actually still debate about the 100% safety of these vaccines. But the big thing is, is the safety. Because you can't sue pharmaceutical companies for creating a bad vaccine. Or delivering a bad I just told the story this morning 
uh, Kentucky, mm-hmm. uh, Indiana, Ohio, right. had bad vaccines infecting thousands of people through those states. And what's your recourse? Well, this is too bad. You because if and if you have a vaccine injury, there is a court that they established. I think it was in the 1980s. Yeah. Uh, where it's vaccine injury court. I believe that is the actual name of it. And they have settled millions of billions. dollars. Yeah, millions upon millions of dollars. Just the ones that they've settled. And most of the people who are injured never get a settlement. Correct. It's a minority that actually gets but, some. And, and it and costs a you a fortune. It costs Lawyers you a fortune because <laughs> both you and the state are going to have to pay. And if the state's paying, you're paying. Because, again, there's nothing the state has that they haven't first taken away. Whether yeah. whether they there was a contract for it or not, doesn't matter. The point is, is that the pharmaceutical companies are held to zero liability for creating bad vaccines or botched vaccines or uh, and if you have an injury, if your child has an injury, there is no liability or recourse laid at the foot or responsibility laid onto the pharmaceutical companies. So that alone, and the fact that there is so many settlements, and then you have legislators saying, no, it's 100% safe, don't be silly, of course it's safe. Don't be surprised if people stand up and call BS on that, because that's where we really are. I mean, it is it is outrageous, and I saw so many parents, mothers, and fathers, and even children come out, and uh, yeah, young young people, and I was actually surprised to see so many young people coming out and speaking on this, and so and they all had different reasons, but for me, the issue is don't lie about it, don't lie about the one hundred percent safety. If you want to get vaccines for your kids, fine, all right. But don't. But the idea of removing the liability from the pharmaceutical industry. And then forcing everybody to get And then vaccinated. having government legislation forcing this product on the American people, putting billions and billions of dollars into the pockets of pharmaceutical companies that bear no liability, but they're going to get a huge portion of the profit on the market that they've already got monopolized. Which was why we see, and I went through a lot of the candidates, and it's very clever how they do it. They get small organizations and groups, and they funnel the money into those, you know, nurses associations and what have you. And then those yeah. nurses associations turn around and give thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars, and not not just nurses associations, but a lot of different medical groups, give to the candidates. And then guess which candidates are pushing to have forced vaccinations, which will put billions of dollars back into the coffers of the same companies that are funding these guys. So whether you're for forced vaccinations or not, or for vaccinations or not, are you for holding down your neighbor and injecting vaccinations in him? Because it won't make you any safer. And, and I can, we can talk about the science of that later. You can call in. And we've got web pages up at Preparing You that quote the CDC, quote those sources. You can read it for yourself, or you can be lazy and uh, avaristic and sit back and think, well, uh, that's just ridiculous. They wouldn't vaccinate us with anything that would do us harm. But the re- one of the things I want to read to you, and then maybe we'll go on to another subject, is um, Deuteronomy seventeen eighteen. 
Or I'll go to 17... Uh, there we go. We're going to go into the Bible. Go into the Bible. That's my side of the mic. Let's, uh, let's do that. Yep. <laughs> and it shall be with... Back to the basics, people. Yeah. And it shall be with him... And who, who's him? They're talking about if you have a throne, a kingdom, a president, a prime minister, someone who is the chief executive officer of your people, your nation. That's what a nation is. It's people. If you're going to elect the king or ruler or somebody who can be your lawmaker, there's uh, basically four to five rules that the Bible talks about you need to put in your constitution. And that's why we wrote the book Contracts, Covenants, and Constitution, because almost every Christian I know are completely unaware of it. But it, it tells you in there, and it shall be with him, and he shall read therein all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to keep all the words of this law and these statutes to do them. Now, it's basically what had gone in this Deuteronomy 17, back, you can go back to 16 and start reading, or 15, you can read the whole chapter if you want. But it's giving you, you know, five limitations that you need to write down to restrict the power of your king or your president, or your prime minister. This is the principle of a constitution. Now, that, that so the Bible understood that you might want to elect somebody. They advised against it in First Samuel 8. But if you do, and also common sense quotes First Samuel 8, so it's not like this, that I'm, I'm just bringing religion into government. The common sense by uh, uh, Thomas Paine was quoting all of Samuel 8 to t- warn you about government because most of the Bible is about government. But they're saying you write these limitations down and read them every day and we were just talking about the fact that not only do the people not read the Oregon Constitution to their legislatures every day, they don't even read it themselves. And that apathy is a slothful approach to what Jesus calls the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. You need to get involved. Not because government is your salvation. Christ is your salvation. But because if you don't care about your neighbor and do something to protect him from the abuses that can come from bad governments, then you're a worker of iniquity by sloth, by avarice, by not getting involved and doing something about it. Now, I'm not trying to get out the vote. Uh, I'll leave that to James. I'll leave that to political action groups. No, this but, is just discussion. I mean, I, I I really feel like we need to talk about some of these things sometimes and just, yeah, just have a dialogue. I wrote a, a series of articles about does a Christian have a right to self-defense. And in that, you know, a lot of people say that, well, I wouldn't use a gun on anybody. But I say, well, will you call the police? And they said, oh, yes, absolutely. Well, why are you calling the police? Because he's got a gun. And so the reality is, is if you're not willing to step forward and protect the innocent from being murdered or robbed or raped, you're complicit in the crime. You're certainly not a good Samaritan. You're not coming to the aid of people that are being abused by men who exercise authority. You need to do that in order to be a real Christian. You need to care about your neighbor. Not only charity-wise, 
but justice-wise. So anyway, so I just wanted to read that, that it is important that you understand this. This is the government you were born in, so you need to be righteous in the way you deal with that government, just like you're righteous with the, you, you deal honestly and friendly with the unrighteous mammon, so that you will be suitable for more righteous habitations. I can guarantee you this, there are no slothful, apathetic people in heaven. <laughs> it's all industrious, diligent people. Be diligent to show thyself approved. That's what the Bible says. So anyway, do we have another topic that we want to cover, or do you want to look at some of the things they said was in HJR? Well, we we could, or we could save it for another time. I actually got a question from an individual here, um, a suggestion, more like, uh, talking about uh, the ratification of the Oregon Constitution and to give electoral votes to each district, and the, which would bring more power to the rural areas. Yeah. Um, I think that's more a question for me than it is for you. Um, <laughs> I, I think, yeah, we could do that. I don't know if I, in a supermajority that there'd be any chance. We'd have to put a vote to the people and find out of whether or not they do that. Unfortunately, the other side of Oregon outnumber us. Um, and so as far as Eastern Oregon's concerned, I mean, it'd be great if I could get more of a voice. I mean, I struggle with that personally because Lake County is kind of unique. Actually, because we have three legislative, uh, legislative, um, representatives, house representatives, and two senators. So no matter whose office we walk into, we only bring about 200 votes to the table because we're such a low density of, um, the population has such a low density. So the problem is with that is you just don't bring a whole lot to the table. And it's one of those things where we just don't have a lot of power or influence when we go and talk about these things, which is fine to a certain extent. I just think it's kind of funny how in Oregon, Lake County seems to me to be the example of gerrymandering in the state, and uh, where even though all of our representatives, all five of them, are um, uh, very conservative, it's still, it's you just don't really bring a whole lot to the table. I don't know if all of our representatives really care so much about the vote. Some of them don't. Some of them actually just really want to do the right thing. And uh, it can be beneficial, but um, to have so many other voices at the table that you can go and talk to, even if you don't have a whole lot of influence. But, again, it kind of goes back to going back to the question about more power in the rural areas by giving electoral votes to each district. You would have to modify the Constitution to do that. I, I'm, I'm fine with that. I just, uh, I just don't know if that'd be possible. And I'm not sure it's the answer. One of the, one of the things, like, I keep going back to, this is just me personally, because this is one of the frustrations about this job, is I am a really, I, I'm not only a limited government kind of guy, I'm from an, I, I, I'm more of a almost no government kind of guy. <laughs> I, I mean, it's not like laissez-faire. Uh, concepts that I carry. It's more like the less the government does, the safer the people are. So the safer the people want to be, the more they have to do. Correct. Which goes back to individual responsibility, um, which is something that they don't, they definitely don't teach in schools anymore. Um, and I really want to push 
uh, and I want to talk about and facilitate this conversation in society to where we can go back to this other things. I was actually listening to an audiobook um, with my wife. We were driving back uh, from my office uh, the other day. And it's about an 80-mile uh, one-way trip, so 150-mile round trip just to get here. So I, I tend to listen to a lot of podcasts, uh, be it Jordan Peterson or uh, Ben Shapiro or the Rubin Report. Or Keys of the Kingdom. Absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, and so, um, but one of the things that we like to listen to are audiobooks. And I was listening to this one, and it was uh, covering kind of the uh, Viking-Dane invasion of England. And... Uh, one of the Northumbrians uh, was in the southern part of England at the time, and they're rousing these troops to go forward and fight the West Saxons, who are they're in a civil war, and uh, they're basically, I mean, really, when you get down to it, they're fighting for religious freedom, and it's it's kind of an interesting concept, but you're having the West Saxons who are going to exterminate all the Danes, no pagan gods, no nothing, you know, you can't do any of this in this country anymore, they're going to go for one England. this is before any of those other, before England was one country, so it was broke up in all these different kingdoms, and they were squabbling and fighting over who was going to rule everything, and uh, the church played a huge part in it at the time, uh, the monks and the, the priests, uh, were very wealthy, uh, basically the biggest lobbyist group in the nation at the time on the continent. And, um, they, they were usurping, they, they were really asserting their power. Now, one, it's funny because this one part in the story, uh, this, this one guy who is a pagan, but he's fighting for the Christians and he's fighting, most of his army are Christians. And he, there's a priest in the group who stands up, and he, they're, he's rousing the soldiers and and rallying them to uh, before they go off and fight the West Saxons. And one of the things he says is he actually goes into the Bible and he talks. I think I think the quote that he was pulling from was Romans nine, um, and uh, he talks about when the people have no country, that there will come a time when they will say, "You are not our people." And they will basically cast you out. And this is in Romans. That in that time, you will be God's people. And the reason I bring that up, I, it, it just kind of struck a chord with me. And it, I thought it was rather interesting. Because the army of men that were rallying at the time, they actually had no king. Uh, they had no no real leader. And they were finding the leader in this one Dane who was uh, helping them fight the West Saxon army at the time had a cruel king and they were going off to fight and I thought it interesting because the the priest's point was rally, in rallying them was saying look we know you don't have a king we know you don't have a kingdom therefore you're God's people that's your kingdom and that's what we're fighting for and it's not you it's not the people entirely that have abandoned them. I think that the leaders and representatives have abandoned the people. They've forgotten who they serve to a certain extent. But one of the things I want to go back to is this, this thing that's been frustrating me. It's because I am such a limited government guy. There reaches a point when none of this stuff matters. It just doesn't matter. So... Say this is all just a screen, just a sideshow to distract us all 
and it pushes us all in this direction of, well, we need to get our guy in there because he's going to set it straight. And I, I joke with locals around my area, and I say, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to run again. I'm, I'm not going to do this. I'm, I'm not going to do this my whole life. I'm not going to be a career politician. So if you want to find someone else to do this job, fine, then go for it, because I'm probably not going to do it twice. Um, you really need to stop looking to throw good men and women to the wolves to go and die on a spear point for you. And at some point, you need to step up and take responsibility for your own lives. If you continue to put more responsibility on the government, the more likelihood you will have that it will not only chew up and eat alive the good men and women that you throw into this meat grinder that is the beast, that is politics, the marble nut house at, in, at the Oregon State Capitol, the more you continue to do that, the more likelihood they will be chewed up. And you're going to lose good people. And they become bitter and, and, and hardened and crisped because of this, this culture that we've had that we just throw people at government thinking that somehow they're going to fix it. Well, it's just not going to happen because the real problem is you. You, people don't take responsibility for their own lives. That's my biggest issue. And when I talk about it, People will come up to me and they'll say, oh, good job, James. Yeah, you spot on. But they still covet their neighbor's goods. They still want their purse. They still want this. They still want their retirement. And I got news for you. There is not one single dime left in your Social Security fund that you put there. The only way you're going to get your payment for your retirement is if I continue to work my generation continues to work, and your grandchildren and great-grandchildren continue to work to make sure that it's there. Because that's the system that you created and that you bought into. Or your parents. And or your parents. parents. See, the entitlement issue that we have today with my generation, it isn't exclusive to my generation. The entitlement culture came long before mine. It came with the Gen Xers. It came with the baby boomers. It came before that. I mean, they're the first president to actually have a Social Security number was actually uh, Dwight Eisenhower. But there were two presidents before him because Franklin Delano Roosevelt was the guy who put it into action. And then Harry Truman even went through his entire term and never had one. The only reason Dwight had one was because it was another paper to sign during World War II when he was fighting the Germans. And so he had a number. And in le just between that time period and now, we have bankrupted that system that was supposed to be voluntary, and we've made it mandatory. And my generation is stuck. There is My generation may have their shortcomings, absolutely. I would love to see more young people get involved, but they don't. This is something that really frustrates me, because the fact that my generation has never known a time and period without war, ever. It is always, there's always been war for the United States of America since the beginning of my generation. The other thing, and the biggest for me, is that there has never been a generation in the history of the world that has inherited as much debt as my generation is about to. And my generation, for the majority of them, can't balance a checkbook. <laughs> 
so that's that concerns me. That's a that's a problem. And if you're going to talk about individual responsibility, then this is where we need to go. Your children of the future, the children of society, the, the children that you currently are sending to public school to be educated. And you're not, and I really see so many parents that just don't really get involved with their children's education. Some do. And I am thankful for that because those children tend to go on and do great things. But for the most part, I, I really do have very serious concerns about society. It, on, on both a, from a religious point of view and a political point of view, but I'm not going to sit around and blame politicians. My main issue is with the individual people that fail to take responsibility for their own lives. That's all I got. Uh, the, uh, Alex Torquville, I was looking at some of the quotes while you were talking, and uh, you know, one of the things he said is, everybody feels the evil that can come from government and control and the loss of rights. But he says, but no one has the courage or energy enough to seek the cure. Well, to me, Christ is the cure. What he was really talking about, those of you who have listened to us before know what what people aren't hearing. Uh, I have some other great quotes, but we'll have to get them next time because it looks like we're completely out of time. <laughs> time time went uh, pretty fast. But, but uh, join us on the network at preparingyou.com. Join the network groups. I see a lot of lights lit up. A lot of people called in. But join us on the network Join with the network is based on geography. Everybody who joins is going to be more and more linked in their local areas and deal with the problems in your local areas because helping one another is what made America great, and we have to get back to that. Until then, peace on your house, and may God be with you. God bless. Thank you. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.